0: listening to grassroots www.innovationstudios.com it's another week and we are into may sunny may of 2021 i hope that those of you have been able to have a sneaky pint well not even a sneaky one i think everybody's loud and proud about it these days aren't they plastering it all over social media you sat there with your pint um but i hope everybody's beginning to um feel that we're approaching a little bit of normality after the craziness of the last, well, nearly 18 months, really, because it all started around January last year. People were going, there's this strange virus that's around. Oh, wash your hands, do this, do that. And uh, all of a sudden, you had these people washing their hands after going to the toilet, which was, like, unheard of for some people. I have to say, though, at this point, very early in the show, I am a washer. I'm not a walker. Um, (laughs) I don't know why I let you that, but look, why I tell you that, but... I, ha- I don't have any secrets on this show, as you know. Um, another week, and um, some more questions from you. We are into week 24 now, and I've been sat here for 24 weeks now answering your questions about this crazy business of ours. The Grassroots UK podcast, aimed at the unsigned artist, aimed at the guys who are sat around on sofas, strumming a few chords, and trying to put a song together before telling everybody around them they're the next best thing. We'll see what happens with that, but... We're going to get straight on with it. Just a quick disclaimer that I always have to do these days, which is that the questions are sent in by you. My answers are based on my knowledge and the equipment that I've used over the years. And I will try and be as honest about that as I can. Of course, there are a million ways to find a million results. And um, everybody, what works for me doesn't necessarily work for somebody else. But um, all I can say is if you take something from these podcasts and you learn something then I'm happy with that. If not, I'm just enjoying answering your questions anyway, and even if you just are royally entertained by my sarcastic and uh, probably egotistic sense of humour, then, um, you know, then I'm happy too. The first question comes from Jason, and Jason is over there in Bexley Heath. Jason says, Hi Marcus, I just wondered, as a songwriter myself, I just wanted to ask you, is there anything that inhibits you when you're songwriting? Um... That's a good question, Jason. I think I I personally, I always try and steer fairly clear of politics and stuff like that because it's a, d- a divider. I think I talked about this a few weeks ago about um, talking in between songs and what to say and and the best way to say things and maybe not to divide the room. Um, I feel that um, I try not to, to do anything or write anything that's too um, obvious. You know, I mean, the, everybody has different beliefs in how this world should turn all right let's put it that way and um why does it why does it matter i think the more famous you get though it appears that the more of a message you can make i mean you you look at the people who have who are famously vegetarians or vegans and then all of a sudden you know advise people that that's the way to live and so maybe they have more of a platform from my point of view, I th- I think that I can't really make a difference to that many people from my little corner of the world at my level. Um, I can pay my bills and I can live my life and I can enjoy life, but I can't inspire somebody to become a vegetarian or not that I am myself, but or to change their life based on a song that I've written or something like that. So I think what inhibits me really is I don't really name names. And I don't um, necessarily go political. Um, I think sometimes, from my point of view, it's important to maybe take the message of, of what somebody's saying. Or, or if you don't agree with what somebody's saying, that's okay. But if you then plaster that all over a song, I plaster it all over the you know lyrics and things like that. I think you're better off to sort of make your point and, and let them work out it's them or let the public work out who it is. I mean, there's a there's no secret that since Oasis split up, everybody seems to think that every single thing that each of the brothers write is aimed directly at their brother. So everybody thinks that every, every time Liam writes a song that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek or a little bit like, you know, you were one of us and things like that, people think, oh, that's aimed at Noel. It might not be. It, it just, we, we kind of interpret that. So I think it's important, Jason, to leave a little bit to the imagination for people to work out what the song's about, rather than sort of saying, look, this is what I believe in and I'm going to write a whole album about it. Most songs are about love and loss, things like that, and life, love, loss and life. Um, and I think in order to sometimes write a love song, you have to have fallen in love and in order to to know the deep feelings that come with that, and then when you write about the deep feelings, people will say, "Oh, you know, I, I can I can sense I can identify with that. I can feel that." And um, if you look at the Adele album, you know, and someone like you and the soft the softness of that and the beauty the beauty of that is she doesn't actually tell you who it is. We, we you know subsequently she sort of opened up about it, and people have talked about it and said, "Oh, that must be you know," but. Um, At the time, it was just she. she took the feeling, and wrote a song about how she was feeling with regards to this person, who she didn't name. So, what inhibits me is there's a song on, um, excuse me, there's a song on Twenty Forever called "I Hope You Know," and it's uh, song four on the on the matching album, and it's about my dad, and and I'll put that out there, right? But I don't name him personally. I just, uh, because I I feel that if I named him personally, it becomes personal to me. Whereas if I take the feeling of it and I talk about him and I hope that he knows what I'm doing, I hope he's able to identify with what I'm doing. I hope wherever he is, he's able to um, see me. Then somebody can take that message and and make it applicable to them and their life and maybe someone that they've lost. And that's why I feel that what inhibits me is to get, absolutely personal where I'm just pointing a finger at one person or or writing a song about one person because then to identify with that Jason you'd have to know me you'd have to know my family you'd have to know my, my old man and whereas to take the feelings of it and write about the feeling of how it feels to lose somebody that that close somebody can identify it people unfortunately you've lost sisters and brothers and sons and can then take that song and say yeah i i hope they look they're watching over me too so what inhibits me is political stuff also i'm careful with regards to uh political correctness i i don't want to be you know giving my opinion on 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 you know not not that not that i do have an opinion on that if i'm honest with you but I don't want to be seen to be given an opinion on on whether whether men should be men and women should be women. And, you know, that's not something that's that's important. That's only important to the individual. So for me as a songwriter, who am I to to write a song about how, you know, how people should live their life? So what I can do is write a song about maybe that has a story that somebody could relate to or a story or a song about how I feel. Which then people can sort of go, I know how he feels. I've been there. I've been in that dark place. Or I've I felt, you know, that that low. I've felt the sadness. i felt the... So you try and, and write songs about how you're feeling. So what inhibits me is anything really that I feel would divide my audience. You don't write songs about Donald Trump. You might write songs about politicians. <clears throat> but all politicians are kind of under the same bracket in as much as they never answer the question. But it doesn't, it's never a personal attack. It's kind of, you know, it doesn't matter who's in power. It's half the country will pick fault with them and the other half won't. And, and you know, and then there's, it's, that's the way the world turns. And um, for me to suddenly nail my colours to the mast by writing a song about my strong beliefs or how I think everybody should have lentil salad rather than having a chicken burger well, for a start, that's that might get the vegetarians buying my albums, but it'll get the, the meat eaters turning around and go, oh, come on, I ain't listening to that. What's the matter with him? You know, because people are real. I've, I've talked about this before. People are real and they will vote with their feet and they will turn around and go, oh, I can't. No, he went all strange. He started talking about how hey, you should be, uh, you know, eating lentils and stuff. I don't want to hear all that. Now, that's the way people are. So I don't want to divide my audience by giving half of them the opportunity to not buy my albums anymore because I feel so strongly about a a particular um, situation that I'm going to voice it and I don't care and that's what my songs are about. You know, that's not the point of the exercise. The point of the exercise is to write about the feelings, maybe to write about the effect it has on you and then people identify with it. So what inhibits me is anything that I think will divide my audience, Jason. But uh, a long answer, but I kind of went off on one there but if you haven't heard this before that's going to happen a lot thank you for your question mate cheers ever wanted to play guitar 10 minute tutorials now on youtube beginners guitar marcus takes you through the early stages tuning basic chords and strum patterns to start you on your journey. For further information, go to The Next question is from Susan in Braintree. Susan says, Hi Marcus. Bit of a personal question this, but I wondered, does everybody have musicality? Have you ever had to tell somebody to give up? LOL. <laughs> um, I I kind of... I'm a bit of an optimist, really. And I always feel that everybody can do one thing, musically. Everybody can sing one song, at least one song. And um, so, I suppose as a teacher, it's... Or a tutor, or a mentor, or whatever you want to label it as, you know. People have called me far worse. Um I think you're searching for that one song that they can sing. And then this is in the case of people who may struggle a little bit. And once you get that, sometimes it's how far it goes from there. I think everybody, once you can find that one song that you can sing, you suddenly start to feel like it's having a good driving lesson. You suddenly feel like, I can do this now. you know. And I've talked about this before, how the best thing about what I do is having that moment where somebody looks at you and suddenly says, I think I can do this. And it's the best feeling in the world as a, as a tutor or a, whatever, a driving instructor, whatever it is you do. It's it's a rewarding um, feeling. And um, I think I, I kind of work towards that. I always feel that everybody can do one thing musically. And um, I've worked with people before who struggled um, with some of the most basic things. Um, but then once they got past that, were able to do the hard stuff and it seems to come easy to them. The, the, the strangest thing about it, Susan, is that everybody's different and everybody learns at a different speed and in a, in a different way. And And I think you have to be adaptable to that when you're working with somebody. It doesn't matter who what you do for a living. If you're working with people, um, it's very difficult to get everybody in the room liking everything that you do or to get two people back to back and teach them in exactly the same way. And that's... That's a hard thing because in, in music in particular, in, in uh, learning an instrument, there's no real curriculum. I mean, when you've got a classroom full of kids, you you teach them this at certain times. I'm not saying that's easy, by the way, because I, I know teachers and I know they're on the, at their wits end at the moment. Um, but you do have a, a, a kind of a, a list of things and, and things that you have to teach them in a certain way. But with music, I might get somebody in at nine o'clock who... Listens to Britpop. or might like somebody in at ten at ten o'clock who, who listens to, you know, uh, rock music. Somebody listens to punk, and you've got to find a way of kind of finding the basics. This is where the great thing about some of the punk bands and some of the rock bands and things like that is they've always got a nice little acoustic ballad. So if somebody wants to listen and get into Green Day. Um, and and if somebody thinks that people out there are thinking I'm a bit old, believe me, having a 14-year-old daughter keeps you in touch with what's happening Um, because you you find that somebody might say, I like Green Day and all that punk stuff. So straight away, you can say, well, they've only got an acoustic guitar, so let's do Good Riddance or let's do Wake Me Up When September ends because then they're playing Green Day, but you're able to work on a few basics with them rather than showing them how to play a a power chord and sort of go off and play American idiot. And then there are other bands like there, like out there, um, like machine gun Kelly, who, um, has got a, got a new album out machine gun Kelly. and, And my daughter, Jennifer plays it all the time. And, In the end, you have to like it because you're exposed to it so much. But I do actually like it, if I'm honest. And I'm not one of these old dads who sort of goes, oh, I like everything that Jennifer plays because, believe me, she plays some pap. But um, that um, particular album has a a song at the end called Play This When I'm Gone. And it's an acoustic-y sort of ballad. So I'm able to get somebody who wants to play Machine Gun Kelly and all the heavy stuff to learn the basics, um, G, E minor, C, D, just a few things like that. So I think there's always a way of finding somebody's ability and then you have to be able to jump on it. I've never ha- actually told anybody that they couldn't do it. Um, I've talked to people before and I've, I've suggested to them and I've called their parents in for a meeting and I've said, look, it's, it's difficult for them to commit to, to the guitar. They're not, they're, they're, they haven't moved forward for a few weeks and it's your money. And I I can only give them something to work on. And if they don't work on it, we'll spend, you know, two or three weeks. What I tend to do is if we spend three or four weeks working on the same thing because I haven't worked on it and we haven't really moved forward, then that's when I'll probably just send a friendly message out and just say, look, um, you know, business-wise, the the business people out there will go, what? But on a personal level, I always sort of say, look, can can we? I think I think really, David or whatever, needs to miss a week because they're not. We haven't moved forward in the last two or three weeks. I don't know whether it's homework. I don't know whether it's just that they're so busy, or I don't know whether it's just that they don't want to do it anymore. So, do you want to talk to them and see where they are with it? And uh, because I I do need a level of commitment in terms of them putting the work in. I'm not a miracle worker. I can only teach them, you know, what I think they need to learn. And then it's up to them. Once they leave here, they're on their own for a, a week or two weeks sometimes. And if they don't practice it, then when they come in, we work on the same thing. And and I am the same as everybody else, you know, in terms of if you pick up a guitar, um, <clears throat> you want to be able to play it yesterday. We all want to, particularly the younger generation, particularly the kids, they... Um, they pick up a guitar and they can't work out why straight away they can't do it. And they want to do it tomorrow. You know, they, they want to be able to be on tour by tomorrow, you know? And, um, if, if you don't put the work in, then I can't work miracles. You, you have to, um, get used to playing it and working out these things, um, yourself. And I don't like, as I said, I'm impatient. I don't like to spend two or three lessons working on the same thing. And I don't feel guilty taking the money but I feel like I shouldn't be, you know, I feel like I should be saying, hang on a minute, you know, somebody, they need to move forward. So after about three lessons of working on the same thing, um, however, I'll have a chat with them personally, if they're an adult. Um, and I'll just say, look, is it, do you think it might be beneficial for you to just do every other week or once a month? Because we haven't moved on and I'm worried that you, you're too busy with other things and you're not able to commit to it. And then if it puts them on the spot, sometimes they'll sort of go, I oh no, it's okay. I mean, I've got more time this week. Or sometimes they might sort of say, No, I have been a bit busy, I'll I'll um maybe I'll miss next week and put the work in. And then I'll be fair with them and I'll say, Look, this is what we need to do. If you're too busy, if you haven't had it done, if you if you haven't got there, then you've got to tell me, give me plenty of notice and put your lesson back a few days. Because I don't want to spend all this time working on the same thing otherwise you'll never improve you just stay where you are and, and if it's because you're too busy doing other things then you know find out where you are so i haven't actually and and then by way of a natural progression the the parents might have got back to me and said no he said he hasn't enjoyed it for a few weeks so we're going to take a break and i give them the opportunity so i haven't you know i've never had to tell anybody to say look you'll never play i, I i'd never i'd never do that um they're not going to do themselves an injury in music. You know, this isn't where you're a bricklayer and you're saying to somebody, oh, you'll never be a bricklayer, mate, you, you know, because you could fall off the scaffold in if you behave like that or or drop a brick on your foot or whatever. Guitars and stuff like that, invariably, they can't really do you a lot an awful lot of damage, um, although I'm sure there are some horror stories out there. But um, I think really it's a case of you can see that their heart isn't in it fairly quickly. Um and particularly the kids, they, they feel like, oh, it's a lot of hard work. And it's difficult when they've got school all day and then they've got to come home and, and the guitar feels like school. Because music should feel like, you know, extracurricular activity. It should feel like fun. It should be a hobby. It shouldn't feel like school. And if it feels like school, you know, if you practice today, if you done your 20 minutes, if you done, then kids will very quickly fall out of love with it, in my experience. So, no, I've never had to tell anybody to give up, but I have advised that they uh, thought about it, or I have advised that if they couldn't commit to it, that maybe they should take a break for a while. So, um, yeah, it's not as simple as just saying, you'll never play this, get out, which, uh, believe me, there's been times I wanted to say it, but I've always <laughs> believed that, no, I'll, I'll give them a chance to find that one song they can play. Thank you for your question, Susan. Next question comes from Angela. Angela. And Angela is in Lee Chapel North, and Angela says, "Hi, Marcus. I just wondered I'm curious. I have relatives in Newcastle, and I wondered if different parts of the country prefer different styles or genres of music in your experience, of course um hello Angela uh, to be honest with you, um it's a very strange question i I haven't experienced anything." that's that obvious um, because music is so diverse and there are so many different, uh, you know, uh, genres and so many different styles. It would be pretty much impossible for me to, to answer it um, honestly, without looking at figures of, of you know, shows that have sold out and, um, <clears throat> you know, and obviously I'm grassroots level, so it might, it may be slightly different, but I'm assuming it goes right through. Um, I would say that my experience of playing in the Oasis Tribute has been that in London we were well-received, Essex we were well-received, um, up in Manchester and Liverpool, well-received. We've been as far as up north in Newcastle. We had some great shows there. Um, the Midlands, we didn't have so many great shows, but I don't know if that's just a culture thing or whether it's just that the time of year that we played there. Maybe the universities. I know one of the shows, the university wasn't open, so therefore we lost a big audience and it didn't didn't seem to be such a big crowd. Um so I don't know whether that counts for anything. Um I think you have your music capitals of, of the UK, in as much as, you know, the some some big bands that have come from Liverpool, um, obviously, obviously the the Fab Four, but obviously the, the huge Mersey beat sound and then right away through to you know, Frankie goes to Hollywood, and right the way through to the Lightning Seeds, and and uh and Cast, and um so so many, so many bands. The Lars, what's you know, from that area, Liverpool, Manchester. Obviously, Manchester, you've got a well, massive, you know, The Smiths, Simply Red, huge, huge, um and Oasis, of course. Um, but then there have been some pretty good bands from London and um, Camden. I mean, you've got The Stones and, and The Who were from London. So, and the, and the Who translate right across the world and The Rolling Stones play right across the world. And um, on a on a, on a slightly different level, sometimes I think going worldwide, not necessarily the UK, but going worldwide, I think the bands that sound like Americans over the years, certainly in the 60s and 70s, if you look at history, music history, Um, the bands that sounded like Americans, i.e. the Beatles, the Stones had something about them that was based on the old R&B, you know, um, blues and stuff like that translated well into America, whereas Britpop didn't necessarily translate in the same way because it was a different vocal attack. Maybe it was a different feel. I don't know. But, um, and some of the other big bands that have made it in America are not as big. You know, over here, and yet in America they're huge. Um, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. I don't. I don't mean. I mean in terms of album sales, but there are certain bands over here that, that are bigger worldwide, and sell more tickets worldwide than um, you know than some of the main ones. And and sometimes I get my I get myself scratching my head, and I wonder. You know, there are huge bands around the world. You know, rock legends like Kiss who can play any stadium in any country, anywhere, and they come to the UK and they do O2 or Wembley Arena. And Iron Maiden can play anywhere. I mean, That's not to say they haven't done stadiums. Of course they have. But I just mean, when they go to America, some of the size of the, of the shows that they're playing are just immense. And then they'll sort of come back to the UK where they're from and go and do Wembley Arena, which for them would be, I'd, I would say, would be considered a small show. You can comparing it to, you know, Melbourne Cricket Ground or, you know, Shea Stadium or something like that. So um, I haven't really, um, Angela, found that music in the UK changes much no matter where you go. And I don't really think that um, that I think the reason for that is um, although comedians have said that different different parts of the country laugh at different things um i think that's because you can you can talk about their area and make a joke about it um and then it becomes personal to them so you might go up to newcastle and talk about the docks or talk about you know the 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 two big football teams or you you know or, or whatever but with music you're pretty much just doing your job and um we i've found in my experience that um as long as you play the songs and you play the songs well the harder audiences, you know, it, it, I think where it changes, actually, Angela, now, now, I, now I think of it, where it changes is not what you're playing, it's what you say in between, that's that's what makes the difference. I think um, it's, it's the kind of banter in between. There are some places where you shut up and there are some places where you're allowed, to, where you feel you can talk to people, you know. Um, so I think it's really where where it changes is not the style of music but it's the the banter and what you can get away with in between the music that changes um and how you present yourself in between because if you go up north and I, and you start talking in a london accent then you know you, <laughs> you although you're on stage it, you you kind of have to talk about their area and how nice it is to be there, you don't want to stand there and go you lot should come down to London, it's great Um so you have to kind of talk, it's nice to be in Blackpool, nice to be in uh, Chester, nice to be in you know, wherever, Chorley or lovely to be back in Birmingham, lovely to be back in Liverpool, uh, lovely to be back in Newcastle, I love it here, we love coming up here, it's fabulous, you always make us feel so welcome, we'll always get that in there by the way you always make us feel so welcome just to, so just because, just in case people are not making you feel welcome and thinking you yeah, a bunch of Southern Jessies um you you think oh god you know this could this could kick off, but um most of the time I found that although the people are so different um music tends to work its way you you couldn't have a a successful number one album without everybody in the country buying it um even if some in some parts of the u k the figures are probably twice as much as they are in other areas, but um I think overall um that the oasis tribute has played successful shows right across the uk and festivals right right across the uk and never had any real problems um so yeah i think um music's a pretty much uh a universal language where the uk is concerned angela but thank you for your question grassroots music uk in association with innovation studios presents the ultimate one-day workshop for songwriters advice and analysis on songwriting techniques and methods how songs are created structured recorded and produced tuition analysis and guidance on how to make a great sounding album on a bedroom budget using recording software and digital audio workstation learn how effects and plugins work and the most effective way to use them Mixing and mastering to CD, Web, and MP3. Adding album artwork, tags and songwriter info. Where to have your mastered CD copied in bulk for selling at your shows. How to upload your music to iTunes and digital media. Online radio stations and how to submit your music for airplay. Advice on venues, promotions, showcases and open mic nights in the area. To book a place to be added to the waiting list, please call 01702 Three six six four nine or email innovationstudiosuk at gmail.com Hazel says doesn't say where Hazel's from but hi Hazel hi Marcus recorded music formats have obviously evolved over the years LPs, cassettes CDs MP3s etc do you have a favourite? um Yeah, I think most musicians will tell you that vinyl was probably the most natural sounding um, format in terms of what you actually heard in the control room. This is what—I mean, of course, there are different um, answers for this, but I I just, when I've talked to people and chatted to people, I think um, people of a certain generation were brought up on vinyl, and um, it. It was kind of, if you wanted to hear something that wasn't compressed, that wasn't limited, that wasn't changed in any, any way at all, you listen to the vinyl. And there are various videos on YouTube where somebody will be playing an, a vinyl LP and, and then change it to MP3 or, or CD, and you'll get a completely different sound. Vinyl, I found, um, in my own experiences, that... Um, i could turn up and turn up and turn up and it didn't distort whereas cds tended to distort because maybe they're compressed in a different way and maybe they just overload so i i don't but my i think favorites always vinyl for me because that generation of hearing that scratchy record when you first put it on the on the stylus you'd hear that scratching before the song started but of course the song, when it was playing, of course, if you didn't look after your records, would have crackles on it and things like that. So CD kind of cleared that up and got rid of all of that buzzing. So CD is always you know, going to be nice because there's nothing um, on there in terms of scratchy records and things like that. But I think the band or the music doesn't sound as as natural as it does. I think most most producers and engineers that I've spoken to have said that vinyl is the clearest... Um, indication of what it would sound like for the band listening back in the studio. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I'm just going by what I've sort of, you know sp- spoken to other people. Whereas CD is uh, kind of everything is compressed and everything is a bit more in your face and you're able to bring up levels and do a bit more. So that's probably, for, for the listener, probably uh, a better experience for the listener because they want to hear everything really, really loud, I suppose. But... I don't know. I mean, as as for all formats, I mean, I used to love tapes because, you know, you 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 could have a couple of um, albums on a on a you know a forty five or a ninety a C ninety, you could get two albums on that, listen to it all day. But of course, the quality wasn't all that. MP three um, compresses an awful lot and limits an awful lot. And I will do something. I'll do a presentation on this because a, a couple of people have asked me about the different formats that they should convert their CD collection to. Because in these days, nobody really wants CD. And um, I think most of the time, with most social media these days and streaming sites, you can get all the albums anyway. You don't need to convert your old albums. But people have asked me that over the years. And, um, you know, what's the best thing? Is it MP3? Well, MP3 is best in terms of space. But it isn't best in terms of quality. MP3, you lose so much... um, not it's not the obvious stuff what it kind of does is um takes out certain like you might have two guitars that play the same note absolutely on top of each other and the ear can't always discern it so it kind of limits one and you only hear the one guitar um it's one of those strange things it's um i think mp3 works on on the basis that um, and uh, b- before I say this, I want I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with my microphone. It's just MP3 works on the basis that the ear will put the rest of the sound there. So if I were to talk to you and miss uh, out there, then you would find that, um, you know, if you can read stuff upside down, or you can read stuff back to front, I think MP3 very much works on compressing the sound and um, I mean, it's it misses out so many different frequencies that it, that, that the ear doesn't always pick up, um, but but are there? So it's very much um, MP3 is I'd, I'd never use MP3 other than sort of the highest 320, and even then that's just just for space. If I want to listen to something, then I use um, FLAC or WAV. And there's probably some other ones out there as well, high quality stuff as well. Um, But uh, my personal favourite, I think, if I'm honest with you, would be vinyl just because it's just old school. And I am old school, Hazel. Um, I know I don't sound old enough, but I am old enough, mate. And um, yeah, definitely, I'd say vinyl. Most DJs would tell you vinyl as well because you could do so much more with vinyl. You can't do anything with C D really, or certainly not as much. Um so from the vinyl, the vinyl is the most natural sounding. C D is digitized and then compressed and limited and all sorts of stuff. So you if you look if you were to look at a vinyl web file and a CD web file, you'd find that this that the um the vinyl web file would have all the different spikes on it. Um whereas the C D web file would probably just be one long smooth um transition, just where everything is on the peak. And compressed a little bit. So I don't think that. Um, who am I to argue, by the way, about that? But I'm just saying, uh, even CDs, you lose a little bit of what you have in the original studio, what the band have in the studio. And if you care about music, and if you're me, and if music's your life, why wouldn't you want to listen to ACDC on vinyl and hear pretty much what they heard sitting in the recording room when it was played back on their speakers? You know, that's. And you can crank it right up and it doesn't doesn't uh overload anything because it's not really compressed so vinyl will always be a favorite um mp3 is a necessity thing tapes not around anymore cds are being phased out um i think and vinyl is beginning to come back and there's a reason why vinyl is coming back and that's because it's the best thing and people still want it and there's still a great demand for it so um vinyl hazel will always be my favorite thank you for your question David, David's in Hockley. David says hi, Marcus. Have you ever turned up at the wrong venue or on the wrong date? Yes, I have. Not only once that I can remember. Um, but uh, yeah, I did. I turned up on um, on a Friday, and I was supposed to play it on a Saturday. Um, and it's not a, h- a hilariously funny story, David, but um, it can happen sometimes. And I think sometimes there's. Um, you just write something in your diary on the on the wrong day, and, and you just have a brain freeze and whatever. But no, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, although I'm I'm touching wood as I say that because I've hopefully got a fair few shows still left in me to play. Um, I haven't. We haven't turned up at the wrong time. But the the thing with music is a lot of the time we um we we sort of book a a, a show. And then usually a week before we usually ring to see if it's still on, or sometimes a couple of days before we'll ring and just say still okay for Saturday. This is a habit that people, I advise people to get into. If you book a date for, you know, September or something in in January, then around August just ring and just say okay we booked for the 28th of September. Just wanted to because it's 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 four or five minutes of your time, but then you're reminding them. And uh, a lot of the time, you can say, did, at the time, sometimes you can sort of say, I just wonder if you need a poster for it, or you, there's an excuse to ring, but you don't need an excuse. You're just ringing and saying, just checking all okay for the 28th of September. We booked it in January, but we haven't spoken to you yet. And then that way, what that does is nine times out of 10, eliminates you turning up on the wrong date or, you know, turning up and seeing somebody else unloading their stuff in. So... Um, very much is um, it's a case of if you're sensible and, and you learn lessons a hard way, we, you know, but um, only once that happened to me where I turned up expecting to play the show. Um, and then from there, from that, as I've said before, you only really ever learn difficult lessons in this business. And um, I learned that if I'm booked to play somewhere, uh, usually fire off a quick text message, all OK for Saturday if you've got a number of the contact or ring the venue and just say, just wait to check, all okay for Saturday, or even if you if you forget, on the day, on the morning, just ring up and go, you know, um, just play, um, playing tonight, looking forward, just wonder what time we were on. Just to kind of jog their memory that you're there, because if they suddenly go, oh, blimey, I haven't got you in, then you've got the day, or you've got a month, or however, however long you leave yourself, to find something else. So I think always... You know, you don't you do to book a hundred shows and, and you make a hundred phone calls to book a hundred shows and then make another hundred phone calls to check on them. But some shows have contracts where they send you it anyway. And once they send you the contract, pretty much it's very rare that that would, you know, that you would turn up on the day and somebody else would be there, although it can happen and has happened, I'm sure. Um, a lot of the time, it's just the time it takes you to make a quick phone call and just say sorry to trouble you just wanted to make sure that you knew, we were, you know just check everything's okay for saturday they're not going to sort of say what are you phoning me for you should turn up on saturday um they'll say oh no okay good to go and, and what it's more professional it's more polished it's it's more solid and um i think that um you you put yourself in a more professional light people then feel oh it's someone who knows what they're doing um, you might not know what you are doing, but you know, but but hopefully that you do. If places are booking you, um so that's the key to it. Just to check in advance sometimes that everything is still okay and the show is still uh, going on. But it's only happened happened to me once, and uh, as it was on that evening when it happened to me, I turned up and somebody else was unloading. So I phoned a pub that I used to play at and just said, "Look, I've been cancelled And he said, "Oh, come and play here tonight." So I managed to go and, go and nick myself some dosh anyway. And uh, so that's what happened with that one. Thanks for your question. Um, I'm only f- <laughs> Helen and Billericay. I'm only five foot two. Should I use a step when I'm playing snooker? Well, this is this is a reference to last week's question about uh, buying the right snooker queue. I don't know how I got onto that. All right, but. Um, I don't know if you need a step to play snooker or not, but the only thing I can tell you is um, if you can't reach the table, then yeah, use a step. And if, But uh, yeah, Th- thank you for listening enough to my podcast to be able to ask me a question like that on something that was completely and utterly not related to music, Helen. Um, John, I'll finish with this one. John, hi, Marcus. What has been the biggest frustration for you teaching at any time online this past year rather than face to face i had a question like this the other week john actually so i might squeeze another one in afterwards the biggest frustration is um to have to try and do everything online that you do so easily in person and uh, life's no different for for a teacher than it is for a family member you can't you can't hold you you can't talk to your mum uh, face to face you can't give her give her a cuddle i'm not saying that i cuddle my pupils by the way but if you're working with somebody in person, you've got that instant interaction, that instant thing where you can say, No, try that, move that finger, no, this one, and you can sort of point to the finger they need to move. Whereas online, you have to sort of go, No, move your second finger, no, it's your third, move your second one. In person, you can say, No, that one. In person, if someone doesn't put a capo on properly, you can just grab the capo and go, no, it goes like this. In person, if someone can't tune their guitar, you can say, give us it here, I'll just tune it for you and give you it back and then we'll go through how to tune it. But online, you're sitting there and if they don't have a tuner, um, which some people don't, honestly, I mean, I t- teach people that don't have a tuner, I'm playing the notes one by one and getting them to tune it online and I'm telling them up or down and it, it's just, it isn't headaches, but it's, it, on a on a positive, it's it's allowed me to look at my game in a different way and and try and explain things in a different way because it wasn't as easy as going give us that finger, put it on that string. Um, so it's made me th- rethink my strategy, which is never a bad thing. Go inside my teaching techniques and and uh, reevaluate and tweak them a bit. But um, the biggest frustration has been, um, and and also has been not seeing people in person. And I don't like to sound like a social worker, but I am a people person. I I do like to talk to people and interact with people. And also, when people come in and they say, you know, you come in, you go, okay, look, five minutes, get yourself tuned in and that. And uh, I'm just going to make a cup of tea. Did you want a cup of tea and whatever? Um, And there's five minutes while they tune in and just saying hello and whatever. But now they've already done that. You've got to give them a full hour instead of 55 minutes. So you, this, this, every lesson I do, I've got, I've got to do five minutes extra work because <laughs> because everyone's already tuned and ready to go. I don't mean that, by the way, because most of my lessons are notorious for overrunning by ten or fifteen minutes anyway. Just because I just enjoy what I do and I want to get the job done. But the biggest frustration has been that I haven't been able to interact with with people in the same way that I've loved to for many, many years. Uh, one final question. It comes from Philip, and Philip is in brentwood hi philip um hi marcus he says how do you feel about talent shows should music ever be competitive no um talent shows are not what they used to be and um i'll give you a quick answer which is basically uh, my, my biggest problem with talent shows is that people end up playing the o2 having never released uh, with, with probably 40 minutes of material and then they end up you know, playing other people's music and um, stuff like that. But no, I don't think music should be competitive. I think that the, it's, it was always good in, in the late 90s um, and the turn of the millennium that used to have Battle of the Bands, a lot of Battle of the Bands. But really, that wasn't a competition. That was whoever had the most fans would get the most votes and then you'd go through. But it was a platform to play a venue like the Esplanade in Southend or Riga or uh, the Army and Navy in Chelmsford. And an opportunity to play there, and then they might like you and book you for to support one of the other acts. So I think most of the bands took that as rather than rather than it being a competition, because I, I never cared about competition. And I couldn't care less. But I looked at it and I said, I don't care if we lose, but if we play well, and then later along the line we end up supporting one of the big tributes because they like what we do with our own stuff or whatever, um, then you know, that's good. That that can only be a good thing. So I embraced it as an opportunity to play at certain venues that I wouldn't have got otherwise. But I think, no, talent shows, um, they're, they're a novelty, and they still are, and, you know, you want to win a talent show. And look, I, I, I tell the story, but it's true. When I was eight, I think I was probably younger, seven or eight, I could play the guitar, and I was good at the guitar, and I used to enter talent contests at Butlins, and we used to go in July, or June or July, and um, and I would I would win the talent contest because it was unusual to get a boy of seven years old playing a guitar like that you know and I don't mean that in a big way but it just was at that time not so common these days not so rare a lot lot of talented kids out there but for a seven year old to be able to play the shadows and and the repertoire that I could I'd enter the talent contest at Butlins and then you know I won it one year I won it a couple of times actually but I won it the first year and we ended up having a holiday free holiday as a as a prize to go to another butlins at clacton which isn't there anymore uh, in september and i then subsequently entered the talent contest at butlins in september and won that and they gave us a free holiday back at butlins at bognor for the following summer so i was uh, <laughs> i was the breadwinner for about uh, two two years I, I won i think it was three or f- three out of four talent contests at butlins which it Enabled my family to go on holiday and then, while I while we were on holiday, entered another talent contest and won that. But um, I only tell you that because it's fu- it's a funny story. It's not, I was so great, I was this, I was that. Because, I, look, I wasn't. I was a seven-year-old kid who wanted to go out on my bike. But the guitar was kind of there and I, I couldn't leave it alone. And now I'm glad I couldn't leave it alone. But when I was seven, I was like, do I have to play it? Do I have to pick it up? And my family would say to me, mate, you've got, you know, Marcus, you've got a talent. Why why would you want to waste that and it's one of the things i'm most proud of is the fact that i didn't waste the talent that i had and and that i didn't let my family down and they were able to, late, to later on in life to come and see my shows because i did something with the ability that i was i was given really so i'm i'm proud of that i don't know how i got onto that but that this going to happen Talent shows are good if you've, you know, if you can do something, if you can dance, it's always good to have a platform. But kids, if you're listening, talent shows are not there. It's not about winning. All right. It's about doing your best. It's about having fun. It's about people walking out of there and enjoying what you do, because you will find in this world. I've, I've entered a few talent shows over the years just because I've won heats in pubs at karaoke or something stupid like that when I was a teenager. And then I've gone somewhere and sung really well and been beaten by somebody doing an Elvis tribute. It was terrible, but the crowd loved them. So it isn't about that. It's about doing the best that you can. And who cares who wins? There's a stage there. There's lights there. There's a microphone there. Go and get it. Go and embrace it. And Do your five minutes and do the best that you can for five minutes. Who cares if you win or not? Because it doesn't matter. You know, most of most of the people that lost the big talent shows ended up being more popular than the ones who didn't. If you look at the people who came second in most of these talent contests that are on TV, the most successful ones in terms of album sales, Girls Aloud were second. Um, diversity was second. Um, there's something about it in the long run it doesn't really matter where you place it matters that you um get up there and that you take the opportunity to perform so talent shows are good because it gives people a platform but if it becomes about who beats who and who's better than who that's rubbish that should it should just be a platform for people to get up and to do what they do and everybody should embrace it and everybody should just enjoy doing it and there and it will give you an opportunity how many times are you going to get the opportunity to play the big stage at Butlins, or to play uh, a big stage somewhere like the Towngate in Essex, in Basildon, something like that. That's the big stage for us if we live it, you know where we live. But doing a talent show might give you the opportunity to go and play on that stage, and it might only be for five minutes. So go and do the talent show and say you performed at the Towngate. You know, go and take the opportunity and take the platform. So no, I don't agree with talent shows. I think they're a load of pap, but. Um, they do give people an opportunity to perform that wouldn't otherwise have had them. And if they embrace that and um, learn from it and enjoy the experience of being on stage, that can only be a good thing. That's it for me. Another week. Um, I've enjoyed your questions this week. Thank you so much for sending them in. Um, Again, some of my answers are off the beaten track a little bit, but look, this podcast is supposed to be entertaining. If you want it to be educational, I can make it educational, but it won't be as much fun, I don't think. So um, once again, um, look after yourselves. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay sane. um, And stay quiet if you're coming out of the pubs that late at night. God, keep the noise down, all right? I I know you've been waiting a year to have a pint, but don't scream and shout about it. No, you know what? Do what you want, okay? You've waited long enough. Thank you for for, uh, subscribing thank you for listening in i'll be back next week and i'll look forward to taking your questions then i hope you've enjoyed it again www.innovationstudios.com send me a question innovation studios uk at gmail or you can find me on um twitter innovation studios or you can find me on instagram innovation studios um follow us do whatever you, you know go to the website and stay in touch. Look, I always flannel at this bit. I never know what to say. So what I am going to say is it's goodbye for now. Yours in Music, signing off. See you soon.